You're now listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. I'm your host, Joseph Lappin, and we're dedicated to the working lives of creative people. I'm here with Colin Channer, and Colin was born in Jamaica and educated there and in New York. His most recent book is the poetry collection Providential, which Ellen Eileen Miles describes as one of the most lucid and telling poetry books of this exact time. Other work includes the novella The Girl with the Golden Shoes and the national best-selling novel Waiting in Vain, a critic's choice selection at the Washington Post. Colin is the editor of the fiction anthologies Iron Balloons and Kingston Noir and co-editor of the poetry anthology So Much Thing, So Much Things to Say. Colin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Great. So I want to start. Can you tell me, we're, we're interested in the creative journey. So take me back to Jamaica. What was it like growing up in your household? What do you remember most from that? Well, I grew up in Jamaica in the 1960s and 70s. Um, this was an era of one television station. It was black and white. It was a world of radio. Mm-hmm. So I listened to radio a lot. Um, my mother was a pharmacist. My dad was a cop. And my latest book, Providential, is about cops. You know, it's really exploring the multiple generations of policemen in my family. Um, I went to high school in Jamaica, and then I came to the U.S. and went to university. It was a very exciting time. Reggae music was becoming popular, mm-hmm. and I was around for it. Mm-hmm. So tell me about when you're listening to radio. What were you listening to on the radio back then? Well, radio in Jamaica at the time um, played all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. It wasn't tightly formatted, so you could hear country and western right after Motown. Then you would hear gospel. Then you would hear... Strauss Waltzes and so my music education was very um, eclectic mm-hmm. um, and this was AM radio mm-hmm. I remember when FM radio came in it was a very big deal for adults I couldn't hear the difference really? as a child no um, so there were lots of talk shows and lots of radio serials from England mm-hmm. um, so there were radio soap operas that we would follow Mm-hmm. So now your, your your parents' work is such a big part of your life, and I want to focus on your father's job too. But what about your mom and her job as a pharmacist? How did that impact your creative journey at all? We know it, it did because one of the things that um, I spent a lot of my early years in going to work with her in clinics and hospitals and pharmacies, and so I was around you know death and chaos a lot. You know, and I think that there's something that that does to your sense or your understanding of mortality that I think carries over into the writing life where you learn to look at life very intensely because you have a sense that it can be cut short. Mm-hmm. Well, how, how so when did that start playing into your actual work? When did you start? Well, I didn't start that? writing seriously until my 30s. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I wasn't aware of all of these uh, connections between, you know, my upbringing and my work until I actually started writing creatively when I was about 30, 32. Tell me about a vivid memory you have where you experienced that, that sense of you know, being around that and seeing that mortality. Well, um, I remember once there was, I was at um, the May Penn Hospital and about eight people came into the emergency room. There'd been a, a head-on collision between a bus and a car. And so many of the people had broken limbs hanging on just by skin. 
And I remember one of them was a boy my own age. And I remember seeing him coming in on a stretcher and just thinking he looks the way that I've seen dogs hit by cars. And there was something that made me aware of my own life and its preciousness. Was that a moment for you that you, maybe you started thinking about how do I express this at all? That this is this is this is an element of my life that I need to tell. No, because you know, growing up in Jamaica in those days, one didn't feel um, that one had access to a literary life. One felt there was access to music, right? Because of the um, mm-hmm. the power of the local music industry, you know, and reggae and all that. So no, I didn't think being a writer at the time was something. It was an impossible dream. Mm-hmm. So I don't think my mind even went in that direction. Only that. Um, I could die, that bad things can happen. And then later on when I started writing, all of this stuff came out. Great. Now let's let's talk about your dad. What are your, how, obviously in this book, it, your dad is a huge part of it in police and mm-hmm. crime. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how your dad influenced your creative journey. Well, I think my dad influenced my creative journey mostly by his absence because he and my mother separated when I was six. They got divorced when I was 10 and he died when I was 12. So part of what happened, I think, is that I didn't inherit a set of codes of masculinity. Masculinity was something I I could imagine my way into. You know, so in other words, I could think of what kind of man I wanted to be, which I think is a kind of creative effort, mm-hmm. right? To create my own script of masculinity rather than one that was given to me by my dad. Mm. But that was a man of few words. But I think the dynamic between him and my mother, I think, um, left me with questions unanswered or questions that I didn't dare to ask. Then when I became a writer as an adult, these questions still remained. And that's how some of these, um, you know, books got produced out of those questions. Wow. What, what are some of your vivid memories of your dad and his job? Ah, okay. So, okay, some vivid memories. My dad, I never saw my dad in uniform because he was injured before I was born. And he was given uh, light duty. In, and in this duty, he wore plain clothes. So I have no memory of him in uniform. What I do remember is that his, he wasn't able to use his right hand very well because he'd been stabbed in it. Mm-hmm. And so um, he sort of favored it a little bit. Um, he had very large shoes, you know, and he was an alcoholic and he was, he would literally fall down drunk in a living room, you know. And I remember being ashamed of him, right? Um, and not feeling very close to him or sorry for him. He was someone to look down on and sort of to avoid. Of course, when I grow older and I understand the complications of his life and his marriage to my mother, I can understand him more. But as a child, I, I recoiled from him. So why now, after all these years with this background, why are you going to poetry to talk about some of these themes? You know? Well, it's funny. You know, the, the, I think poetry sometimes gives... A kind of power to the small in that the the focus on small things in poetry has big effect and I think I'm looking at details of living right the sort of micro decisions and the micro moments that make a life so the the subject 
and the form came to me as one, right? Strangely enough. And I think part of why this happened is that I've been writing up and getting published personal essays for a couple of years, like in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. And I think that writing about my life uh, from the eye made me a little bit more comfortable with examining some aspects of my life publicly, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the essay opened the way for poetry to me. After I started produ- making poems, the fiction writer's um, art of you know language and detail, but also a structure and regard for structure really helped me with poetry, but it was really um, the essay Great. That grounded me. So one last question is that you talk about literature not being a possibility in Jamaica when you were young. But there is a huge explosion of Caribbean writers right now mm-hmm. that are making huge waves in the literary world. Would someone growing up in Jamaica now feel that access? Yes. And for a couple of reasons. One of them is that um, the infrastructure of... Um, Getting a literary education in Jamaica has expanded a lot since the time that I was growing up there. And, um, you know, a major part of that is um, an organization called the Calabash International Literary Festival Trust, which um, started in 2001 and produced a three day international literary festival bringing writers from around the world had year-round publishing seminars and writing workshops. And so people actually had access to training. And Marlon James, for example, came out of that workshop with his first book, John Cross Devil, which became an, an LA Times Book Award finalist and a Commonwealth Writers' Prize mm-hmm. finalist. So that has done a lot. And um, you know, I'm one of the persons who founded Calabash, mm-hmm. largely because realizing that when I was growing up, I had no idea that it was even something I could do. I didn't even know if I had the ability to do it. It was just untested. Mm-hmm. Well, I said I knew this was my last question, but I have to ask about now you're in New England mm-hmm. and you know Jamaica is such a rich party, right? You're writing about New England in this book. I mean, how do you negotiate those different landscapes? I mean, no, they're not really different. I mean, you know, once upon a time, anywhere England conquered was New England. Jamaica used to be New England. Barbados was New England. India was New England, right? Mm-hmm. So... I recognize New England very well because of the the connection to Britain. You know, um, there's a Kingston in Rhode Island. You know, there, there is. Yeah, <laughs> right. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you know, cod from New England went to feed enslaved people in Jamaica. Mm. So cod is part of the national dish of Jamaica. Right. So uh. there's a there's an ancient connection between you know ships. Mm-hmm. Flying, right, going between the Caribbean and New England. So, the Episcopalian Church. I'm Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I recognize the architecture of those churches. I know the hymns. Right. Mm-hmm. So, we, one thing we must recognize is that before there was the internet, there was global integration through shipping and through commerce. Right. And that places that we think of now as being unconnected have deep, deep, deep roots and ties, you know? So, you know, rum and molasses came from the Caribbean Mm -hmm. to New England, right? Um, So when I'm in um, 
like when I go to somewhere like uh, up to Ipswich, right, and I go and I see those marshes and rivers, it reminds me I come from a place of marshes and rivers too, you know. Mm. I go to the Green Mountains in New Hampshire, I come from a place of mountains too. New England feels most like the Caribbean to me, strangely, in the fall, when all those trees take color. Really? Because the Caribbean is a landscape of color, <laughs> right? And so the strange is a strangeness when the chill comes on, the leaves change color, and suddenly those hills are bright, like hills I'm familiar with in the tropics. I couldn't end it in a better place. Thank you so much for being here. You are listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. Thanks for listening.